0: Section 7 of Antonia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jake Malizia. Antonia by George Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. An idea passed through Marcel's mind. He retraced his steps and interrupted Monsieur Antoine's horticultural reveries. "'By the way, my gallant uncle,' he said in a playful tone, "'don't you want to buy the Hotel d'Estrelle pavilion? The pavilion is for sale. And you didn't tell me, you idiot! I forgot it. Well, how much will you give for it? What is it worth? I have told you a hundred times. To Comtesse d'Estrelle, who has just accepted it as a gift, it is worth ten thousand francs. To you who want it and need it, it is worth twice that. It remains to be seen whether the Countess won't ask three times ten thousand. Ah, that's like your great folk, sharper and stingier than the parvenu they despise. The Comtesse d'Estrelle despises no one. Yes, she does. She's a fool, like all the others. We're separated by a wall, and in the four years she's been living in the Hotel Strell, she's never had the curiosity to look into my garden. Perhaps she doesn't know anything about rare plants. Say rather that she would consider herself dishonoured if she put her foot inside a plebeian's door. But do you expect a young woman in mourning to compromise herself by strolling about in the garden of a bachelor of your age? Of my age? You are joking, I suppose. Am I of an age to make people talk? Why, who can say? You used to be a volcano once. I. what are you saying, you brute- you cannot make me believe that you were never in love. What's that? I have never been in love. No such fool. Yes, you have been in love. A fool, if you please, at least once in your life. Try to insist that you haven't, added Marcel, as he saw that the horticulturist turned pale and seemed perturbed once more. Enough of this nonsense, retorted the uncle, tapping the floor angrily with his foot. You are Madame de Strel's attorney, Are you instructed to sell the pavilion? No, but I have the right to suggest it. How much will you give? Not a sou. Let me alone. Then I can offer it to another purchaser. What other? There is no other in view at this moment. I am not given to lying. I shall not deal falsely with you in the matters you have placed in my charge. But you are well aware that the street is being built up, and that by tomorrow, perhaps tonight, people will be fighting for the pavilion. Let Madame Strel take the trouble to enter into negotiations with me. Do you want her to receive you? Very good. Would she receive me? said Monsieur Antoine, and his round eyes gleamed for an instant. Why not? said Marcel. Oh, yes, she would receive me in her courtyard, or at best in her antechamber, standing up between two doors as she receives a dog or an attorney you are a great stickler for manners aren't you for a man who won't take his hat off his head for anybody but never fear madame d'estrel is as courteous to decent people of our class as to the greatest aristocrats to prove it she is on the best of terms with my aunt thierry and they are almost friends already ah well that is because madame your aunt is noble the nobles understand each other like thieves at a fair pristi, uncle. Once more I ask you, what in heaven's name you have against your sister-in-law? I have... well, I detest her. So I see. But why? Because she is noble. Don't talk to me about your nobles. They are all heartless and ungrateful. Did you love her? I wonder. This direct question was too much for Monsieur Antoine. He turned deathly pale, then flushed with anger, swore, tore his hair and shouted in a frenzy of rage did she tell you that she pretends she dares to say nothing at all i have never been able to extort a word from her about you but i have had my suspicions and now you have confessed tell me everything uncle that will be the best way for it will relieve you and you will have a good heart searching for once in your life fully half an hour passed before the ex-armourer had exhausted all the spleen and bile for which his heart was full against Marcel, against Madame Thierry, and against his deceased brother. When Marcel, who worried him cruelly, had succeeded in exhausting him, he carried his point, and old Antoine told him what follows, by fits and starts, forcing his nephew to extract from him bit by bit the secret of his life, which was also the secret of his character. Forty years prior to the period of this narrative, Mademoiselle de Meilly, having eloped with André Thierry, had gone with her fiance to seek shelter with Antoine Thierry, who was already rich and still quite young. Until that time, the two brothers had lived on good terms with each other. While she remained in hiding at the Hôtel de Melcy, Mademoiselle de Meilly had manifested sincere friendship for the armourer and perfect confidence in him. André, being prosecuted by the Meilly family and in danger of being consigned to the bastille had been compelled to leave paris to avert suspicion from the right quarter while certain influential friends of his endeavoured to adjust his affairs and gradually succeeded in so doing during this separation of several months mademoiselle de merilly constantly beset by the most painful anxiety was more than once tempted to return to her parents in order to relieve the man she loved from the dangers and misfortunes which threatened him. More than once she discussed the subject frankly with André's brother, setting forth her fears and asking his advice. Then it was that Antoine conceived a strange idea. Not treacherous, and in no wise induced by passion, but in which his sensitive self-esteem was soon deeply involved. We will allow him to speak for a moment. The girl was ruined although she had not lived with my brother as his wife she was too far compromised to be taken back into the family and the very best that she could hope for was to end her days in a convent my brother seemed to me even more completely ruined than she was a letter de cachet had been issued against him and that was no joke in those days he might be shut up for twenty years or for his whole life who could say and as a young lady told me all this herself crying out every minute what shall i do monsieur antoine mon dieu what shall i do the idea came into my head of saving them both by marrying the girl i was not in love with her no the devil take me if i lie i should have loved any other woman as much and i had never given a thought to marriage if she had not been of noble birth which gave her not in my eyes for i have no prejudices in many people's eyes a sort of distinction i shouldn't have paid much attention to her are you laughing what are you laughing at you ass of an attorney i am not laughing said marcel go on you were telling me about the bright idea that came into your head so it did and it wasn't any more foolish than my excellent brother's idea was he an eagle in those days i would ask no he was a little dauber who hadn't succeeded in laying by four sous and no one thought anything of him. Was he any better looking than I was, or younger, or better bred? We were both brought up just alike, I was five years older, that's all, I wasn't the ugliest and he wasn't a beauty by any means. He knew how to talk, he was always a chatterer, I said less but what I said was solid, neither one of us was more of a plebeian than the other for we had the same father and mother. I had already saved nearly a million, which no one knew anything about. With a million, a man can do many things that my brother couldn't do. He can put the law to sleep and appease angry parents, and obtain patrons who never sleep. With a million, one can even reach the king's ear, and surely one can marry a girl who has nothing at all. If society makes a fuss, it's because everyone would like to have the million in his own pocket. In fact, my million proved that even if I was not so fine a talker as my brother, it wasn't for want of wit and genius. That is what the girl ought to have understood. I didn't ask her to love me right away, but to love her Andre enough to forget him and keep him from going to prison and rotting there. Very good. Instead of appreciating my good sense and generosity, lo and behold, the prude loses her temper, calls me a bore, and a wicked brother and a dishonourable man and decamps from my house without telling me where she's going staking all to win all and leaving a letter for me in which all the thanks she gives me is a promise never to portray my treachery to monsieur andre i confess that i have never forgiven her for that and that i never shall forgive her as for my excellent brother he behaved in a way that disgusted me almost as much as madame did i didn't choose to wait till his prude of a wife had sold me when i saw that he was out of his difficulties and married i told him the whole story just as i have told it to you he didn't lose his temper on the contrary he thanked me for my good intentions but then he began to laugh you know what a frivolous weak-brained creature he was well my idea struck him as very comical and he made fun of me Thereupon I broke with him, and I would never see the wife or husband again. At last, said Marcel, now I know where we are. But Julian, why do you bear Julian a grudge, for he wasn't born at the time of your grievance? I don't bear Julian a grudge, but he is his mother's son, and I am sure that he hates me. Upon my honour, Julian knows nothing of what you have told me, and he knows you only by your conduct of late." Do you think that he can possibly approve it? Shouldn't you have redeemed his mother's house when he swore by all that is most sacred that he would devote his life to the payment of his debt to you? A fine security! The life of a painter! Where did painting land his father, who was famous? And suppose you had lost a matter of 50,000 francs, you who certainly have more than... Hush! You should never mention the amount of a man's fortune. When such figures are in the air, the walls and trees, even the flower-pots, have ears. You agree that the amount is so large that the Sevres affair would have been a mere trifle, don't you? Do you propose to make me out a miser? I know that you are not one, but I shall believe that you are cruel, and that you like to see people suffer whom you believe to be your enemies. Well, isn't that my right? Since when have we been forbidden to seek revenge? since we began to be something more than savages. Am I a savage, then? Yes. Be off. You are tiresome after a while. Look out that I don't set myself against you, too. I defy you to do it. Why so? Because you know that I am the only person on earth who is just a little attached to you and devoted to you, in spite of all your shortcomings. You see, you admit now that Julian detests me. Make him love you, then you will have two friends instead of one. Ah, yes, you want me to redeem the house. Very good. When Julian is an orphan, I will look after him, on condition that he never mentions his mother to me. Perhaps you would like to have him kill her, would you? I tell you, uncle, you are mad. Nothing more nor less. You are immeasurably vain. And you have the prejudices of the nobility, in a more virulent form than any of the people who have ancestors.' You were not in love with Mademoiselle de Meilly, I am sure, but her rank made you long to supplant your brother with her. You were frantically jealous of poor André, not because of that lovely and lovable young woman, but because of the parchments which she brought him with her dowry, and because of the sort of lustre that was reflected on him. In a word, you do not hate the nobles, you adore them, you envy them. You would give all your millions to have been born somebody, and your outbreaks of rage against them on every occasion are simply the spleen of a discarded lover, just as your hatred of my aunt is the spleen of a wounded and humiliated plebeian. That is your mania, my poor uncle. Every man has his own, they say, but this one makes you cruel, and I am very sorry for you. Perhaps the ex-armorer felt that Marcel was right. Consequently, he was about to get more angry than ever, but Marcel turned his back on him with a shrug and went away. Paying no heed to his invectives. End of section seven.